1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, a member FDIC. Sonoro.
2: Hello Tamarindo podcast listeners, it is Brenda. This week is a special episode. Instead of a regular Tamarindo podcast episode, what you will instead hear is Ana Shayla and I guest hosting an episode of Risk risk is a live show and weekly podcast where people tell true stories they never thought they would dare to share in public It's created and hosted by kevin allison on this episode you will hear the fourth episode of their hispanic live series with stories by margo gomez david arroyo and lily b we'll be back with regular tamarindo episodes next week
3: Hey folks, this is Kevin in honor of Hispanic heritage month this year. We're rerunning some of our very favorite risk stories shared by storytellers of Latino or Hispanic heritage. And we're so excited to have guest hosts stepping in to share the experience with us. This week, we're welcoming Anna Sheila Victorino and Brenda Gonzalez from Tamarindo, A podcast about culture, politics, and personal development. So now, without further ado, here's Brenda and Anna Sheila.
0: Hey everyone, this is Anna Sheila.
2: And this is Brenda. And on this episode, you'll hear Marga Gomez.
1: Champagne goes to my head. Maybe I should switch to Bailey's and vodka.
0: That and more, but first, if you're new to the Risk podcast, there's 14 years worth of episodes and lots more series like the Hispanic Live series. Check out the best of Risk episodes, or the scary stories episodes, or the funny stuff episodes. They're all at risk-show.com/special-series. We'll be
2: right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Folks, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they thought they'd never dare to share. I'm Brenda Gonzalez and here with me is Ana Sheila Victorino, and we are the hosts of Tamarindo Podcast, what our fans call the podcast at the intersection of self-love and advocacy. This is Dengue 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 behind me now, and this is Hispanic Lives number 4, the final episode that Risk is running for National Hispanic Heritage Month all highlighting storytellers and stories that are unique to the Latino experience.
0: In a little bit, we're gonna hear from both David Arroyo and Lily B. But we're gonna start with a story by Marga Gomez. And y'all, I have never clapped after listening to a story on a podcast, but that's how much fun this story was.
2: Now here's Marga with a story we call The Gentleman's Butler.
1: Thank you, thank you so much. Hang on. Uh, Cheers. I don't have an alcohol problem unless the drinks are free. (laughs) And then I have to admit to God and to myself that I am powerless over free stuff. And that's why I must never travel first class again. (laughs) The last time I did was over a year ago. I was flown by a TV show from San Francisco to Paris Uh to appear in a wedding scene that was a queer wedding scene with a diverse cast at the Eiffel Tower, and I was getting paid for that. (laughs) Now, there was going to be a five hour layover in Mexico City, which I considered a bonus. because this would give me more time to meet the other actors on my flight and hang out with them in the Aero Mexico First Class VIP lounge, (laughs) which was free stuff from wall to wall, free Wi-Fi, Uh, Free alcohol, free champagne, which is alcohol, I suppose, (laughs) but it's Mexican champagne, which really gets you wasted. Free food, (laughs) selfies and selfies, and then after that, another flight to Paris. This was a triple first-class experience to me. I got into a deep conversation with one of the actors in the VIP lounge, which is the only kind of conversation you can have with an actor. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we almost missed our connecting flight to paris we had to we had to run all over this giant Mexico city airport, and we finally found the gate at the last minute, and she stops short of the line and freaks out and says... <gasps> I lost my boarding pass. I can't find my boarding pass. And I say, hey, it's okay. They'll print you another one. We're first class. (laughs) I left her and I said, I'll see you on the plane. And I breezed through the gate because I'm a savvy traveler. I'm TSA pre. (laughs) Just before I get to the door of the airplane, I noticed this massive newspaper kiosk, right steps away from the door to the plane. And it's full of Mexican newspapers. And they're all free. (laughs) Que viva Mexico! And I grab one of each publication. My Spanish sucks, but I figure I'm gonna have time (laughs) on the flight to drink more and learn my language. (laughs) I'm greeted at the door by Milan, an adorable gay flight attendant, who says, bonjour, Mrs. Gomez. And then he escorts me to seat 3A, which is the best seat in first class. (laughs) My seat, c 3A, is walled off from the other passengers. It's like a clamshell. It's better than my studio apartment. <laughs> it's like my studio apartment and my vagina had a baby. And... And inside 3A, there is a seat that converts to a bed and several Kama Sutra positions. <laughs> and the armrests of seat 3A have all these perks you can get hot shatsu hot shatsu and listen to podcasts there are shelves there are cabinets in seat 3A and every kind of tiny house innovation <laughs> and i recognize seat 3A as home and i feel blessed Before takeoff, uh, Milan appears with more warm nuts and champagne. I am uh, just uh, so excited because he's giving me a goodie bag, a French goodie bag filled with all manner of french toothpaste i think it's called dentifrice and parisian uh, lotions and balm and oils from paris and every kind of basic that you need for sleep slippers and sleep shades and earplugs and everything i would need except for xanax which (laughs) i had personally packed into the side compartment of my backpack I knew where all my stuff was. I was very organized. The night before, I made a packing list, and I never check bags. I only take carry-on because check bags slow you down. And I'm savvy, I'm TSA Pre. (laughs) I even had an anti-theft travel belt. Don't call it a fanny pack, it is an official anti-theft travel belt to foil the Parisian pickpockets. I had heard so much about, and to protect my cherished telephone and passport, and I had really nailed the preparation for this trip to Paris. And I thought, "Mm, just one more selfie before we depart. And I reached into my anti-theft travel belt, and something was missing. One of the worst parts about losing your passport on an international flight, while being brown, is the looks that you get when you tell it to white people, and brown people, and black people, and actors are the worst to tell it to. Before we took off, I tiptoed through all the clamshells in first class, and I peered in and asked the actors if they had seen anything or heard anything about a stray passport (laughs) all i wanted was a yes or no i didn't want empathy i didn't want steel magnolia reactions And I for sure didn't want advice from my friend who 15 minutes prior had lost her boarding pass and was now telling me, you know what I like to do is retrace my steps. I was about to say, how dare you? How dare you? I wanted to tell her. I wanted to tell her that you are the reason this happened to me. But then Milan gently guided me back to seat 3A. And he asked me, Is everything okay, Mrs. Gomez? And I buckled myself in and I said, uh, Milan, uh, je pense, uh, avez-vous voir mon passport? <laughs> <laughs> je pense qu'il tombait. Et si pouvez-vous telephoner the gate in Mexico City the first-class VIP lounge? <laughs> and Milan said, well, no, we can't do that. We're about to take off and we're going to close the door. Are you sure you don't have it, Mrs. Gomez? And I really hated to lie to my gay brown brother. <laughs> but if I told Milan the truth, then he would stop everything and call the authorities, and I would be sent back to San Francisco, and I would not appear in the queer-friendly wedding scene at the Eiffel Tower. So I said, oh, no, no. Just bear, mama, mama, and I slapped my head and I slapped my back pocket and I said, "Here's my passport. My passport is in my back." And I was practically fondling myself. I was kind of just grabbing my ass to calm myself down. It's in my back pocket, Milan. No worries. I have my passport. Champagne goes to my head. Maybe I should switch to Bailey's and vodka. And that made me seem more honest and he walked away and we took off. And I sat in my seat for the longest time and I couldn't do anything but re-examine my life. (laughs) The seatbelt sight went off and then I, I retraced my steps. Not because she told me to, because that's just what you do, you have time. I saw myself at the gate in Mexico City. I saw myself showing my passport and boarding pass to the agent and then fist pumping my passport. And then I'm approaching the door and I saw the kiosk with the newspapers and I realized that's where my passport is, in the bundle of newspapers I brought on the flight. Later on, The lights dimmed and everyone in first class was asleep, but my clamshell was lit and alive with the sound of newspapers rustling. I leafed through them, I shook the newspapers, and then I tore at the newspapers. For hours and hours, I tore and shredded the newspapers, and then I got down on my hands and my knees, and I crawled under my seat and I searched with my phone flashlight for the passport. And I had to admit, accept that my passport was not on this plane. I drank more and ate more. <laughs> it's all I could do. There was no one to talk to, they were asleep. Milan was always there with his warm nuts. And <laughs> I think maybe, It was too much free booze, but I finally confessed the whole situation to him. And I'll never forget his sad look before he walked away and the vest going farther and farther away. And then I turned my seat into a bed and I put my Shotsu massage on high and I passed out. And I dreamt that Milan brought me a giant croissant and underneath that, was my passport. <laughs> when I woke up, I was covered in, in tattered newspaper <laughs> and cold nuts, and <laughs> we landed, and I was now detained. And I waved to all my actor friends as they were leaving the plane. And I asked them to please get help for me. I stepped away from my seat and the uh, cleaning crew did a CSI inspection, tore my 3A apart looking for the passport, and then the supervisor of ay Romero made a visit to the plane and he half-heartedly called Mexico City. And then he said, your passport isn't there. You'll have to go back to Mexico. And I said, no, 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 That's the same in every language. No, 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 I said, "Uh, I I can't go back to Mexico. You see, my origin was San Francisco. I'm from San Francisco, and so please check my itinerary. I have to go back to San Francisco. And he said, wait here, Mrs. Gomez. The French address American women as Mrs. It's a feminist thing they do. I could not use my fucking phone. I, I didn't know how to, I can't call in Europe. Their numbers are crazy. And, and my battery was, was really almost dead on my phone. And I was hungover. And, oh, so hungover. Two cops arrived to the plane. And they motioned for me. To walk behind one of them while the other walked behind me, and that's how I left first class. <laughs> we walked, we did this whole Macarena thing off uh, <laughs> the plane, and. Uh, <laughs> And I realized, this is bad. This was so bad. This was so, this is maybe the worst thing for me ever. It was so bad that I got severely horny right away with one cop in front of me, one cop behind me. Severely horny, and then I also had this horrifying urge to severely poop. And then I, I tried to use my high school French to explain the situation that happened and all they could say to me was, rapide, 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 yelling at me like I was a terrorist. Me, a terror. What kind of terrorist loses her passport? (laughs) Only an amateur. (laughs) Now these cops are taking me on a perp walk through Charles de Gaulle. Not the person, the airport. And... (laughs) And I'm struggling with my carry-ons. My carry-ons were so heavy, and plus I also had the goodie bag with my cosmetics from Paris. I had, oh, I'm not gonna lose that. I'm gonna take that to prison. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I had wished that I had one of those rolly carry-ons, but I never used them. I never used the rollies because if it's a crowded flight, the airline will always make you check the rollies and I cannot be separated from my stuff. And then I realized I'm gonna be separated from all my stuff. (laughs) Because I am an unidentified, brown, hungover woman. (laughs) And I am going from first class to a detention center (laughs) in Paris and then Mexico City, who knows? I didn't know much about detention centers, just the ones in the United States, because I had watched all about them in 2016 when this happened, on the news, Trump's detention centers, the immigration ban, and all these people who were suddenly thrown in them and had to sleep on the floor or maybe an insulated pad if they were lucky and the children and they were all separated from their people and I sent money online to legal defense I didn't know I didn't know if the money helped and I didn't know what happened to those people and now I was maybe going to be in this vortex. I got to the jail in the airport, it was down some steps, and these cops brought me to their boss, the cop boss, <laughs> and he motioned for me to sit on a bench, and then they just ignored me, and I didn't know what was going to happen, and the phone rang. My phone rang. My phone was almost dead. but. It lasted, my phone was a champ. (laughs) And on the other line, there was a gentleman who said, hello Marga, my name is Roger. I was notified by your production company of your situation and I'm so sorry that happened to you. But I want you to know Marga, that we are working to connect with an official from the airport who will give you a special code and we will give that code to the police, and they will let you go. But Marga, I can't guarantee we will connect with this official because he's on vacation. And I said I said to Roger, but, but Roger, what if we can't get the code? What if we can't get the code? And Roger said, well then, I'm so very sorry, Marga. And then I... I said, "Hang on, Roger." And I and I told the cops, "Alors, j'ai une avec un code." And Roger said, "Don't talk to the police in French. They hate that." <laughs> just keep your phone on and wait for my call. And I sat there, they ignored me, and I thought about how this whole trip began, how happy I was, how great everything seemed, how blessed I felt, and how cursed I was right now. <laughs> and how my phone probably would not last for this code call from Roger, because I had wasted the battery using the flashlight to look under my seat. And I. I had a charger, but I didn't have the adapter, and who cares because the authorities would probably take my phone away from me, take my laptop away from me. How would I sleep in a detention center without my earplugs and white noise machine? (laughs) And then the phone rang again, and Roger had the code and told me to hand the phone to the boss cop, I did. For some reason he took the phone, he listened to Roger, mean, mean face, mean face, then his face got dazed and stunned as he listened to the code. And then he said, Dacold. <laughs> I'm outside the Charles De Gaulle airport with no cops. I'm going to be in the wedding scene in the Eiffel Tower because I am free and I keep telling myself, I'm free, I'm free, but I'm shaking, I'm shaking. And the best part of it all was I was with Roger. Roger's not his real name. I just call him Roger because he reminds me of Roger Moore, the best James Bond. (laughs) Roger came back with a trolley. He had put my carry-ons on there. Even if he hadn't rescued me, I really believed that Roger was the most beautiful man in Paris. He had wavy hair, kind eyes, a European scarf, tweed suit, (laughs) self-possessed. And he said to me, Well, I'm so sorry that happened to you, Marga. Cigarette? I don't smoke, but fuck it. I just got an airport jail. Pass." (laughs) And I asked him, while I smoked, I said, Roger, how did you do it? How did you do it? What is this celeb, this code, this code? Roger, what is this code? And he said, well, all I can tell you is we call it the celebrity code for difficult situations to use with authorities. And I wondered, like, does Beyonce use this celebrity code? (laughs) And I said, Roger, please let me take a selfie with you. And he said, oh no, no, he couldn't take selfies in his line of work. And then I wouldn't quit until he told me what he did for a living. He said, well, my guy, I guess you can call me a gentleman's butler which is something I've always wanted. (laughs) I've always been envious of celebrities and their privileges, but now I'm grateful to celebrities because without that celebrity code, I wouldn't be here tonight. The celebrity code was able to pull more strings for me with the U.S. Embassy, and I was able to get a temporary passport to be in Paris and leave Paris. And I'm ashamed to tell you this last part of the story, but I lost that temporary passport. (laughs) I... (laughs) I thought I lost it when I went to the Harvey Milk Library in the Castro to get some free books. They're very lightweight, they're like toys. I mean, they're really hard to keep track of. (laughs) And so I had to call the US passport office and explain the whole thing and can't, there was no Roger. I had to do it all myself. And then after my passport, my temporary passport was voided, I was told by a a cashier at my neighborhood Walgreens that they found my passport. And it was in the Walgreens safe. I didn't even know there was a Walgreens safe. <laughs> I can't use it. I don't have a passport, but I want to apply again. I, want, I have to apply again because, you know, with everything that's happening under this administration, sometimes you just want to go to Mexico. <laughs> que viva Mexico!
3: I'll be right back, we're back. Hey guys, uh, so it's around June, and it's one of those really hot, steamy, New York summer days. I'm in the subway, it's like 110 degrees, I'm sweating like crazy. There's sweat in my eyes, ah, my eye's thin, And I have these two gigantic bags full of crap from the thrift store. Basically crap to make my crappy apartment look less crappy. <laughs> so the train comes in, doors open up, and like every New Yorker, you rush in to grab a seat, right? So I rush in to grab a seat, and there's no seats. But I look, and I see this girl. She's wearing a Puerto Rican T-shirt and a Puerto Rican bandana. She has two bags taking up two seats on the bench, which I fucking hate. But, you know, I'm standing there, and what you gotta know about me, guys, is that I hate confrontation. Like, one time I was on the subway, and this drunk guy sat on me for about three minutes (laughs) before I got up and left the train. So normally, I would just stand there, and I would just let the seats go. But at the time, I was living in the Bronx, and uh, I'm going, Man, this is not fair. I got like 15 stops to go. Then I got to take a bus to get to my apartment. No, man, this fucking sucks. I, of all people, deserve these seats. So I point to the seats, and the girl is annoyed, and she takes her bags off the seats, and I sit down. And when I sit down, my leg kind of brushes her a little bit, and she looks at me. She goes, damn, can't say excuse me nothing? And I look at her, and I just blurt out, no, I can't. She gets so angry, and I get so scared. And um, immediately she takes out her phone and calls her friend and starts talking shit about me. And she's talking about how she wants her to get her friends to meet me on my stop, to kick my ass, and how she's going to mess me up. And then she starts talking bad about me in Spanish. <sighs> the funny thing is that I speak Spanish, so I know everything she's saying about me. Then she goes and says, this white boy thinks he's better than me. And I find that kind of really hysterical because both my parents are Puerto Rican. Um, I was born in the Bronx, but my parents moved me down when I was three. And they made a big point of speaking English around the house because they wanted me to keep my English. They wanted me to, because they felt like it was going to be a big advantage for me when I grew up. What they didn't really understand was it was a double-edged sword? Yeah, it did help me eventually in the future, but it also made me very isolated. Kids my own age thought I was weird. You know, they couldn't really understand why I read. You know, not for homework. I pretty much buried my face in comic books, Marvel Comics, fuck DC, and uh, and Christopher Pike books and Fair Street from Arl Stein and. You know, it's just like a lot of like you know adult stuff, and I was glued to TV. Like, my favorite shows growing up were Reading Rainbow and uh, Doogie Hauser. I kind of, like, patterned my speech about that. Like, vocabulary got better and better and better. And I made friends, and it was fine in high school. But then, after high school, I was in a really bad situation. And the reason is because, in Puerto Rico's been part of the US for, like, over 100 years. Before that, there were a the colony of Spain, so when kind of when they came over, this kind of created a, a big identity crisis where it became a national question of what makes a Puerto Rican. Is it the color of your skin? Is it that he was born in Puerto Rico? Or is it that he speaks Spanish only? And I did not meet the criteria for any of those. So I was fucked. So I would have like these experiences like, the one that stands out the most to me was that one that's in a chat room you know, back when the internet was new, and um, I'm like chatting away, and I'm talking to this girl, and she's really cute, and I find out she's from Guaynabo, which is like a town like 20 minutes away from me, and uh, I go, hey, I I see you from Guaynabo. I'm from Bayamon. And she goes, wait, 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 what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm from Bayamon. And she goes, but you said your name was Brian. (laughs) And I go, no, I said I like Brian Adams. And she goes, well, how long have you been in, in Bayamon? And I'm like, since I was three. And she goes and says, so why are we, we speaking English right now? Why are we speaking Spanish? And I'm like, well, you know, I like to speak English. It's my preferred language. My mind kind of works that way, yada, yada, yada. And she goes and says, um, well, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And I go, why? And she goes, because I only talk to real Puerto Ricans. So now I'm halfway to my stop, and this girl is saying stuff in English like, does Pedro still have his bat? Does Jose still have his gun? I know they have priors, but I think we can get away with this. And then in Spanish, she's saying to her, she's trying to figure out my stop because she's in Gun Hill Road. That's all the way to the end of the five train. She's saying stuff like, I think he gets off on of 96th Street because all white people get off on of 96th Street. No white person goes <laughs> past 96th Street. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, this is ridiculous. So the then is, like, when I moved to New York, my world was opened up. I started to meet people from, from different races, ethnicities, and stuff like that. And a really weird thing started to happen to me. That was that I was being confused for being of other races and ethnicities. Like I got confused for being Jewish, Italian, one-time Pakistani, but most like get confused for being white. Situations would happen where I be with coworkers or you know people I just met acquaintances, and the topic of where are you from comes up, and I'll say, well, I'm from Puerto Rico. I was raised there," and they go, "Wait a minute, you're Puerto Rican?" And I go, "Yeah," and they go, "But you speak English so well," or "You don't sound like a Puerto Rican." And my reply was always, you don't sound like a racist, but hey, I guess the world is full of surprises, isn't it? But eventually, I had these conversations over and over and over again that I got fed up, and I would just avoid the question. You know, I let people believe what they want to believe. And that's when I became an undercover Puerto Rican. <laughs> And I would have like these really weird experiences, you know, like I was at this story slam called The Moth where folks, they rate your story. And so I'm sitting next to this like little old lady and she has like the little perm and the sweater and the little purse and stuff like that. And she looks like your grandma. I'm gonna call her Blanche because both Kevin and me love the Golden Girls. And uh, she goes and says, hey, I put my, my name in the hat. I'm doing stand-up right now, and I I can't wait to get on stage. And I go, hey, that's nice, that's great. And she gets called up, and she tells a story, and it's fucking horrible. (laughs) She has no structure whatsoever, she's going all over the place, it's kind of a boring story, but you know, whatever. She gets bad scores, and she comes down and sits next to me. And then a Colombian man gets called up, and he goes on stage, and he tells the most amazing story. It was amazing. And he got these amazing scores and eventually later on won them them off. And uh, when he gets the scores, she leans over to me and says, hey, I guess you gotta be a spick to get good scores around here. And I was floored. I was like, Blanche, you racist bitch. (laughs) Living up to the Southern stereotype. (laughs) I thought that, you know, but I still think about this to this day. I didn't say it and I just froze. And at the end of the night, she gets up and shakes my hand and says, it was really nice talking to you. And I even smiled a little bit, you know? I hated myself for that. I could have stood up for my people, I could have stood up for where I came from, I could have said, fuck you, but I didn't. I didn't say anything. I just stood there and smiled. So now I'm coming to my stop. I'm pretty much sure this girl's full of shit because the logistics just don't work. <laughs> Like, how's she gonna get her friends to my stop in time to kick my ass? And what, well, she's gonna hold me there? It's, that's not gonna work, you know? She's talking to her friend in Spanish, talking about how scared I must be and blah, blah, and I'm like, whatever. I get to my stop, and it's hour 10. I get up in hour 10, and I get up from the seat, and she starts screaming on her phone, he's getting up for hour 10! He's getting up for hour 10! And I look at her and I think about Blanche and I just go, Yo soy Boniqua! Yeah. <laughs> and she doesn't really know how to respond to that. <laughs> and I don't really know how to follow that up. <laughs> so I just like walk off the stage, uh, walk off the, the subway station, my stage, you know? Like I walk off the subway station, you know? I'm waiting for the bus, and I'm thinking about what just happened. I'm going like, holy shit, I can't believe this just fucking happened. And I think to myself, you know what, man? I'm like this racial nomad. Like, I wear all these faces. But like my true face, the face that I wear, people say, well, you shouldn't wear that face because you don't live up to the stereotype, or you don't live up to our standards. I'm thinking about that, and I just go, you know what? Fuck it. Yo soy (laughs) boricua. This white boy thinks he's better than me. I speak Spanish. Both my parents are Puerto Rican. I was born in the Bronx. I'm from Bayamon. I'm from Puerto Rico. I was raised there. Wait a minute, you're Puerto Rican? I got confused for being Jewish, Italian, one time Pakistani. But most I get confused for being white. You don't sound like a Puerto Rican. Fuck it. Yo soy Boricua. Yo soy Boricua. Yo soy Boricua. Yo soy Boricua. Yo soy soy Boricua!
4: Growing up in the 80s, I used to love taking public transportation with my mom and my grandma. They used to take us on errands, all of us. When I say us, me, my cousins, whoever was around. And we'd go run errands with my mom or my grandma. For me, it was really exciting. And for my siblings, too, because we got to explore the world. Like We didn't leave our neighborhood very often. So when we did leave, we got to see different parts of the city and people and... Taking the L was like live action cartoons because graffiti artists would go into the tunnels and paint Fred Flintstone and then Bart Simpson, whoever, and through these tunnels. And you got to just watch the train through the windows. And everything was about watching and taking everything in. And people watching was probably one of my favorite things to do. I got to see all these different people that obviously didn't live in my neighborhood, right? So I got to wonder where they came from and what neighborhoods they lived in who their families were. It was one of these times like hanging on an errand with my mom on the bus that I noticed I was, there were two women sitting across from me and my mom on the back of the bus with my siblings. It was my brother, my sister and I and my two cousins. Now I'm looking through these people because sometimes you just get lost in a daze and I'm kind of lost in a daze looking out the window through these two women and just taking in the streets when something catches my ear. You see, I have to explain to everyone who doesn't know Lily B that I'm Afro-Mexicana. I'm Afro-Mexicana, Afro-Mexican. And my mom looks like a black woman. She had the kinky little fro, skin very, very dark. Some people said she looked like Whoopi Goldberg, no joke. Like, real talk, my mom looks like a black woman. And so... When I heard what these women said, it caught my ear because I look around the bus and my mom is the only person that would match this description, and they used the word mayate. Now mayate is a Spanish word. It's a term used in Spanish culture to mean, like, the, the N-word. And that is when I stopped, like, got right out of my gaze and started paying attention to these two women. Convers- they were Spanish. I didn't know if they were Mexican, Puerto Rican, Cuban, but there were two Spanish women now talking about my mother, and I know it's my mother because I'm listening, and one woman says to the other, mira esta mujer con todos estos niños, and the other woman says, a la mejor ni son de todo del mismo papá, which translated is look at this woman with all these children, and the other woman says, They're probably not even from the same father. And then they get to talking about us now, they're looking at us individually, the five of us, and they're pointing out the differences. Like, yes, look at this. Mirá la nariz y los ojos del están más claritos. Look at the nose on this one and look at the eyes on this one. They're a lot more fair. And they're talking about my mother and us. And I know my mom is here. If I can see this, she can see this. We're sitting right next to each other. So I start pulling her shirt to, like, let her know. Because you don't make a scene, you know. This is the 80s. You don't get up and point people out or call people out. I just pull her shirt to let her know, like, listen, look it, if you're not paying attention. And through her teeth, she says, cico, which translates to shut the fuck up. And at that moment that she says that, I felt like, why? Like, Because I couldn't say but. There's no way that I could be like, but they're talking about. No, because she just slapped me. She just knocked me the fuck out right there on the bus. And I would have no story to tell. But she just tells me to shut up. And I'm looking at these women. I'm thinking my mom is weak. And I'm going on listening to these women. And I've, I'm so disappointed in my mom at that moment. I'm so disappointed that she's not saying something, that she's letting these women just talk about us. And we're on the bus for a few more minutes, and our stop is coming up, so she tells us to get up. And so we ring the bell, thinking, you know, that it's our stop, because we're always excited to ring that bell on these errands. She has us stand in a little row by the back door. And for good reason, she has us go in front, because at that moment, she turns around to these women. In her sweetest but bitchiest voice, because I know this voice, right, she says... For your information, por su información, estos tres son mis hijos y los tuve con un solo hombre. Y estos dos son mis sobrinos que también son de los mismos padres. Which translates to, for your information, these three are my children and I had them with one man. And these two are my nephew and niece who are also by the same parents. So antes de hablar, and she starts to tell these women that before they start to talk, antes de comenzar a hablar, bonchincheras, and, and she starts saying words that in Spanish I never heard my mom say to anyone ever, which is things like bonchincheras, chismosas, viejas bonchincheras, like gossipy bitches is basically what she was calling them. And the look on these women's faces when they realize that, hey, she spoke fucking Spanish. This black woman spoke Spanish. <laughs> Holy shit. And what she had to say with them, they just sit there in their shame. They couldn't even say sorry because she didn't even give them a chance to. You guys, she just said what she had to say. This is who I am. This is why you'll respect me. And she got off that bus. And the people in the back left snickering and looking at these women. And we just got off the bus. And the minute my foot, like, touched the curb, it was like in a TV show, a commercial, as you see with the little kid, just happy, just, yeah, one fist in the air. Yeah, mom! I was so proud of my mom. I was so happy to like she had done something that she told me to shut the fuck up for good reason. That she had a plan and it was beautiful, and I was proud. And I had got to explain it to my cousins and brother and sister who had been completely oblivious to it. And I was so excited that I was going to tell everyone. And she even then she was just like, "No, this is not something you go tell. Like this is no es para eso, ni para eso, which is for what basically." And I like to think that I get that from my mother. I like to think that I do what I do and I am who I am, Lily B, because I want people to know, like, I, like my mother did that day, like this is who I am and this is why you'll respect me. But unlike my mother, <laughs> I want the whole fucking world to know why.
0: risk and this is Bombay stereo behind me now and we just heard from lily b and david arroyo lily's story was called let the world know why brenda how'd you feel
2: i love this story i love experiences where you get to get a glimpse of who your parents are be on mommy y papi and see them just become chingonas or chingones <laughs> i love that what did you think Anashayla?
0: Yeah, I I felt the same way. I think I I remember loving going on adventures with my mom and also getting her to see stand up for us in so many instances in school and and outside and and just being the chingona she is. So I definitely reflected on that listening to this story. Lily B is a story coach for Trace.org, a newsroom that covers gun violence. You can find Lily on Instagram at LilyB606. That's L-I-L-Y-B-E-606.
2: Before Lily, we heard "Undercover Puerto Rican" by David Arroyo. I also love this story because I have had this experience of folks not thinking that I speak Spanish, and then uh, me catching them talking smack, <laughs> and then responding with my Spanish. I absolutely love that. So why, Sheila, what did you think about this story?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a common experience for a lot of us. I had a few reflections. I think number one, there's always like this picture of what someone is supposed to look like, sound like, and act like when you're part of a cultural identity. And I think sometimes we try to perform in order to really like overcompensate for feeling like we're outside of that picture, and or sometimes we do the opposite and and reject it. So I thought a lot about our our journey to self acceptance when we're part of, um, you know, particular cultural identity. And I think. Sort of similar to you, but a little bit different. I'm 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 Mexican and born to Mexican parents. But while I've never been mistaken for white, what has happened is folks have you know mistaken me from for being from another Latin American country and kind of told me that I didn't look Mexican as, as a compliment. So you know I think there's so many things that we can explore related to cultural identity and being mistaken for this or that. So I I, I think it's a very relatable story.
2: Basura to that experience, Ana Shayla. You can find David on Instagram at the David Arroyo. And of course, we started this episode with Marga Gomez. I want to hang out with Marga. I I feel like we are kindred spirits. I love her energy. I approach anything that I'm getting for free and paid for with that same energy. I absolutely loved Marga's story.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can tell she lights up any room that she walks into. And, and I think I, I really love the story. I mean, it was hilarious. It kept me on the edge of my seat. But I think also it's just such a accurate reflection of life. You know what I mean? Like we can try to do everything right. She did all this preparation and, and still things still didn't work out well. Right. So I think that's life. And, and what better way to get through the roller coaster of life than to laugh through it. Right. And, and treat ourselves with a little bit of grace. So I absolutely love this story.
2: Marga is at all the socials at the Marga Gomez, and Marga's 14th solo show, this one called Swimming with Lesbians, is currently running at the Brava in San Francisco, so if you're anywhere near San Francisco right now, go see that show. We'll be right back. And that is going to close out National Hispanic Heritage Month, at least here on Risk. But please, everybody, celebrate your Latino, Hispanic, Latine, Latinx, Chicana, Chicano, and all of the above people in your lives all year long.
0: Yeah, and we're so grateful for these storytellers and just want to encourage everyone listening. Write those stories. We want to hear them. We want to see them. All the things.
2: Yes, we want more of your stories in the future. All right, with
0: that... Hoy es el día. Today's the day. Arriesgate. Take a risk.
3: So young.
2: Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Sheila Victorino with production support by Karina Riverall of Sonoro Media. Jeff Ricards produced our theme song. To learn more about us and get in touch, go to tamarindopodcast.com.
1: 220099